Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. This is Jen, your host today, and I'm here with a really exciting new author of a fantastic mystery that absolutely blew me away, and it is the first book in a line by a new imprint that I think a lot of you will find very interesting. Um, May I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? With pleasure. Hi, everyone. My name is Margot Dwayhe, and I'm the author of Scorched Grace, which is the debut title from Gillian Flynn Books, the brand new imprint led by icon and trailblazer Gillian Flynn herself. Um, The imprint is with Zando, terrific publishing company, very bold and inclusive. And the book comes out on February 21st, 2023. So happening you know right now it's it's an incredibly exciting time and I'm very grateful to share more about the book with you all and the public library community libraries are super important to me have have been all my life and I wrote a lot of scorched grace at my local library so thank you for all you do oh thank you oh my gosh that's so nice and I I love actually, um, you know, since I started working in libraries, we have a couple of resident authors here too, who are like working on their first books or, you know, their six books. And like, it's really, really fun to like get to be a part of that. And I'm really, really glad that you're here to talk about your book with us because I think our readers will love this. Thank you. <laughs> um, before we get into the book itself, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your writing journey and how it led you to this book. Um, I saw on your website, that you describe your work as, quote, fiction, poetry, and hybrid forms. And I'm particularly interested in those hybrid forms. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how it led you to this project. Absolutely. Yes, I'm I'm really passionate about these ideas of hybridization and genre warping. Um, So really... The journey began with poetry. It's It really is my first love. I fell in love with Edgar Allan Poe's sort of um, ghastly and gorgeous work and Sylvia Plath and, um, you know, different writers that were, were kind of the expected writers that you learn about in elementary school. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I also just, the idea of poetry, any poetry I could get my hands on and then um, started writing my own poetry at age 12, just scribbling away, really obsessed with the the kind of ciphers and decoding and gameplay of poetry itself and the way we can leverage words, the words we use every day, mm. transactional words, you know, and to transform that into something that continuate itself in the mind or a line or a lyric that just stays with you ever. So there's just a real power in poetry that I've always loved. And I pursued it, wrote it almost exclusively for about 10, 12 years. And then just started writing longer poems, prose poetry. I wrote a play in verse and started playing with, you know, longer forms and more narrative conventions and structures in poetry, dialogue. And so through just my love of poetry, started writing in longer, you know, ways and experiences. And that led me to think 
more concretely about a novel and of course mysteries which are my other kind of parallel track of of enduring passion so i merged all of that into scorched grace and you know i like to think of it as a lyrical crime novel on a few levels because of that just emotional depth but also the power of words and how they can be used to soothe and comfort and rally and galvanize and mislead and and misdirect so all of that is is really in the way this protagonist tells her story and makes connections using both metaphor and kind of liturgical conventions as well mm. i love that that's so interesting to me and i think um you know when i read your prose it was very clear to me that you uh wrote poetry before and during this because it is very lyrical and you know what you just said really connected uh to something that i remember from the book that really stuck with me um early on sister holiday says something about how nuns are good at seeing things that other people don't see uh, mm. but without being seen themselves and mm. that was so interesting to me and it really reminded me as you were talking about poetry that like poetry is a way of writing but it's also kind of like a way of seeing things you know yes. like it's a a lens that you kind of view the world with and I love how that kind of expresses itself in Sister Holiday's POV. Oh I love that that's so true you know there is that idea of poetic moment or poetic sensibility that almost has nothing to do with poetry, but the ability to perhaps try to discover something beautiful in the wreckage and ruin or see something unexpected in a familiar landscape. So there is that, absolutely that, you know, that idea of bringing new eyes or fresh eyes to a world, to a mystery, to a case, to a riddle. And, and really all of that animates and, you know, really complicates the character because she is this young 33-year-old, you know, musician, punk rocker, guitarist, lesbian, um, you know, ident has a lot of pride in who she is and also takes this very unexpected move to join a convent, you know, an, un an unexpected way of, of living your life in the, our current day um, mm -hmm. as, you know, for a lot of reasons. So I wanted a lot of those contours and complexities to really fuel the character and the way she tells her story to the reader. Mm. I would love to talk about her a little bit more and particularly about, um, you know, how she ended up where she is without giving too much away because obviously she's <laughs> a private eye and she has a past and, you know, like that's a whole thing. But, um, you know, before I fell into libraries, I um, studied medieval history and I studied in particular uh, women's history and yeah. one of the things that I remember learning about like convents early on in the Middle Ages is that um, convents, even though they were places where women lived under like, you know, the the rule of the church and under their gaze, um, it was really kind of like a safe haven for queer yeah. women as well, because it was the only kind of like legitimate way that you could avoid marriage to a man, you know, and so um, it, it, it was even back then, like a lot of queer women found themselves in these places because you could live with other women. You didn't have to get married. It was the only way that you can kind of live on your on your own terms ish, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's certainly 
a very, um, you know, known through line into storytelling about nuns. You know, I've read a lot of biographies, biographies by sisters, contemporary, you know, and in the past, you know, for example, Sister Simone Campbell, who's incredible, Sister Helen Prejohn. And so that's always been something that I have had great gratitude for as a queer woman myself, that there there have historically been spaces uh, for meditation, contemplation, safety, that you could find, you know, within the walls. You know, when we talk about what are places, what are convents, what are schools, they're they're, they can be both safe havens. They can also be, you know, prisons, depending on where you are, what kind of agency you have. Mm-hmm. There's always been that, you know, complex relationship with queer identities, queer women specifically, and in places of worship and worshiping that idea of devoting yourself to something. And I really respect that. And I wanted to create a character who wanted to devote herself to service and live in a kind of safety and perhaps austerity, but a lushness in that devotion. So, you know, she wakes up at six in the morning, she prays, she has her coffee and breakfast, she goes to mass, she sings, she teaches, she plays guitar, she prays, she reads the, you know, both the scripture and music lyrics, you know, I always yoke those together. And she daydreams, she goes to bed, repeat, repeat, you know, and it's like, I I find that just personally really fascinating, you know, devoting yourself to something both greater than you, but also with a purity where where you're not um, perhaps distracted by and or encumbered by quote unquote modernity. And so I did want to write a character that was denuded of those modern luxuries cell phones, cars, money, you know, worrying about some of that stuff. And it also thinks makes for a more interesting sleuth where she's not just pulling out a cell phone the whole time or even on a computer. Mm-hmm. And I love that about early neo-hardboiled mysteries like Sue Grafton's ABC, you know, series with Kinsey Milhone or Sarah Paretsky's tremendous, you know, V.I. Wachowski that was sort of before, you know, cell phones and and then, of course, the canonical sleuths like Marlowe and Sam Spade of Hammond and Chandler. So all of that is is really a huge part of Sister Holiday's story. But back to your point with, with the convent, it's a way to explore sisterhood, too. So Sister Holiday has her sisterhood with her bandmates in Brooklyn and with her her beloved Sister T and and Sister Augustine and some of her, nem- you know, her nemesis, Sister Honor. So it's another way to explore female relationships and women both um, learning from each other and offering some of their gifts and their skills to one another in unexpected ways. Mm. Yeah, there's so much there that's so rich in terms of the relationships between the residents of this convent. Um, And as you say, like, yeah, some of them are are positive relationships and some of them are not so positive, but they're all are very complex and have this room to breathe. Um, So I'm wondering, like, how did you populate this convent around uh, Sister Holiday? She's surrounded by so many interesting characters who, you know, 
what, what I love about this setting is that, you know, everybody is there to worship God, uh, but they all are also coming with their own host of personal reasons that they may have shared or not have shared, you know? And so I just love the interplay between all the personalities. So um, yeah, what was working this cast out like? Well, that's a really great question. And you're, yes, you're such a great reader, Jen. I It's so fun to to talk with readers. You know, the cast is everything. I just love the ways that people bring out different, a different you within you, you know? So Sister Sister Holiday, the protagonist, is a, is a person who makes a decision at age 33 to join this convent, whereas her sisters were 18, 19, you know, quite young and have been there for, for 40 years. So there's obviously that difference, but I wanted to play with the notion of, you know, true individuality within a quote unquote group. So I think one of the great misconceptions that people make about anyone really, or any snap judgment is that, oh, she's wearing a veil you know, I make, this is what she is, or this is who she is. So I really wanted to tease the out their, their proclivities, their biases, their likes, you know, Sister T like loves Doritos and, you know, Sister Honor is, is very, um, very by the books and kind of Byzantine in, in the way she sees the world. And there are, you know, there's just, a, we contain multitudes, you know, to quote the famous poets. It's just, something that was truly integral to creating a kind of ensemble of of sisters in this current day so without making them archetypes or falling into stereotypes and in fact pushing against that idea of stereotypes because some of the characters who are a bit of the authority figures they they think they have these people clocked they think they know them or in fact you know at one point sister holiday says something to the tune of, you know, people view us as a collective noun versus, you know, individuals. And she she actually leverages that and she kind of exploits those misconceptions to advance her detection. And as she then, you know, not necessarily spoiler alert, I think it'll be, it'll be shared, but in book two, she actually is joining a PI firm. And so leaning mo much more into the hard boiled space and, and she's, you know, both this nun and this sleuth and uses both of the notions or stereotypical thoughts about both of them to surprise people. Ooh, that is so interesting. Yeah, I see so much of that. And, um, you know, it kind of reminds me too, I, there are just so many like lines that stood out to me as I was reading. And another early on one that you mentioned is that transformation is survival. And that to me, like was just, it, it brought so many of the themes and different parts of this book together, because that's true of religion. It's true of like, of, of Christ, you know, the story of Christ, you know, it's true of like Christians and how they see themselves in the world. But it's also, I think, true of queer people that you have to sort of, um, transform yourself by really uh getting beneath uh 
the protective identity you have formed in a way. I, I'm talking from my own experience a little bit now, but like, you know, that that finding your real inner you is like a little bit of a transformation too. And so I love this, that she's, you know, is a nun, but then she also gets to actually act as a PI later, but keeping both identities, like it's just, there, there's a lot of like, beautiful messiness you know if I hope that like is, is comes yes. across the compliment that I mean so <laughs> yes yes <laughs> the highest compliment and thank you so much for sharing your experience that is everything to me and I love hearing that and I totally agree because you know what what is transformation even it's it is doesn't even have to be this complete um start to finish experience so I I so agree with that and and the idea of like leaning into the the messiness and knowing that it's going to be okay is hugely helpful for me personally and and I think was a survival mechanism for my own self you know I was I went to Catholic school I was closeted until I was you know maybe 21 or so with my family and and I attended church and it was a different kind of experience for me. I always respected it and I appreciated how it gave a lot of people that I loved so much comfort, but I didn't, I couldn't relate to it on a personal level, artistically. Yes. But I think that question of like, what is you, what do you really need? Mm-hmm. And then going through the being brave and asking for help and saying, yes, I can change because I, this is, I want to live in an authentic way is what the character is, is narrativizing for herself. And she alienates people, people don't get it, you know, and they think it's either a ruse or BS, you know, or even, you know, really detrimental to join with an institution that's been at the source of tremendous pain and damage for queer and trans people enacting violence against marginalized and vulnerable communities. And yet, you know, we have desires and needs that we must, you know, explore. So, yeah, I think a very circuitous answer to, yes, transformation is survival. And I think it's up to all of us to ask, what does that mean, what does that mean for us? And, and yes, changes, it can be very, very scary. And how do we explore that? How do we ask questions about that? And for me, it was really like one of the driving questions of this book. Yeah, it's a really beautiful journey that you go on with Sister Holiday, even like while she is investigating, you know, this horrible situation that hasn't even been mentioned yet. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's an arsonist at St. Sebastian's and and it is truly dangerous. Like she, you know, she loses people and she is in danger herself. And like, it is a, like, there's so much external stuff and internal stuff happening um and both of those different sort of tracks and how they interact are just are so interesting like did you plot her kind of internal journey and the sort of external journey of like the mystery separately or were they just always kind of like interwoven Mm. oh that's such a great question (laughs) i mean i again what i love about mysteries are how they are these mirrors and some sometimes a hall of mirrors. So there is this exteriority of searching and clue work and piecing together and facing these hard truths or asking questions and then getting perhaps thrown off track for certain reasons or another. And then that internal journey, I think they 
do have to be in conversation with each other, not necessarily matched beat for beat, but I did try to really yoke them together, weave them together in a really tight way so that uh, one perhaps exploration internally sheds light or sparks something externally and vice versa. Because I don't think we live in a linear way. I, I, I don't, you know, I know that, yes, I'm living right now and it's, you know, February, 2023. But when I close my eyes and remember something, it's very alive. Mm -hmm. And, and I think when we're talking about hopes and trauma and resilience, that there is this kind of fluidity amongst all of it. Mm -hmm. So when I was plotting it, I wanted to keep that porousness very alert without decelerating because I got to tell you, I love a, a book that reads like a pacey book, you know, and when you do have some moments of breathing and lingering that they're very sumptuous and very luscious and without over scrutinizing, like, you know, there are places where you can breathe, but then again, with that rapid flow and pace, pace, pace is super important to me with the mystery. Mm-hmm. So yeah, plotting that internal external was very deliberate and and I learned a lot, you know, just through that experience of just thinking like, how do you want to keep things really whipping along? And that also is very important to Gillian Flynn and, and Zando is is creating a book that's very thrilling for readers and also gives you purchase and gives you spaces to just live and float. So it was it was something that we really worked hard on. Mm. That is so cool. And it does lead to my question about uh, being a part of this imprint of Gillian Flynn books. Um, To be like the flagship book of a new imprint must be like super exciting. And I imagine also like there might be like a little feeling of like pressure and nervousness there because like it's very cool. It's a very big thing too. Um, And to have your uh, work just be, you know, sort of like put out there first by this like extremely accomplished, incredibly talented, brilliant writer. Like, how does that feel, you know? (laughs) (laughs) In a word, (laughs) (laughs) completely and totally bananas, bonkers. Uh, (laughs) You know, I have zero chill. I have zero agenda. I have zero you know, game, I, I, it's just, it's overwhelming. It will always be overwhelming. I don't care if it's a hundred years from now, like it, it's, it's the greatest gift, you know, first of all, just like, I will write no matter what I always have. I, I will always write. It's something that I need to do that I love to do. Cause I also love reading, you know, for me, they're very linked. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that something that I wrote, you know, was, you know, my agent amazingly, brilliantly believed in it, took a chance on it and said, you know, let's bring it to this company. Gillian Flynn had just started this role of becoming a publisher to discover new and unexpected voices and real conversation starters because that's what she does so well. And I, I just have the highest respect for her. She's also just so funny and warm and and just, we have great time and we're going, you know, we'll be on tour together, which is really incredible, but it is, you know, hugely like a lot of pressure because I love, I love her work. I mean, Sharp Objects oh, is just, it's just, I mean, what's your favorite? That That's my favorite. Like that destroyed me just by like, you know, 
here's your childhood. Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And like the gift she's she gives the dopamine wash of a page turner. Like she's just the she is a craftsperson, and she takes chances and 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 also centers women's stories in really important ways and so it's it's just you know i i'll never get over it it's just something that i'm so grateful for that she's doing you know really this not only is she writing she has a new book that she you know she's going to be probably out i think maybe in a year or two but she she just feels so passionately about books and eco the ecosystem of books to roll the dice with a total unknown like i am <laughs> you know, I'm not like, I'm not debasing myself here, but I'm, I'm a nobody, like I'm a no one, you know, I'm like, yes, I, I write poetry. I'm a scholar, all of that. And I'm pr proud of that. And I stand behind that, you know, but she's like a global phenomenon. <laughs> and so she's doing this beautiful thing of just looking out there. She wants to publish three or four books per year. So very tight, very curated list. And and really, you know, say, hey, these are the kinds of, of weird and searching stories that she wants to share with with readers. So it's it's an absolute gift. Uh, that is so cool. And it's I'm so excited to see more in this line. I am so excited to see more Sister Holiday. And it's just so great that that's on the horizon because I just fell in love with her in this book. And something that I would say that your book shares with uh, Gillian's writing is that as a reader, I almost feel like torn between these two twin impulses. One is like the page turner impulse of like, oh my gosh, I need to consume this like as fast as possible because I love it so much. And the like sort of opposing impulse of like some of this language is so beautiful and some of these like pauses are just so interesting and you, you want to savor too and so like having that I love that tug between like wanting to savor something and wanting to devour it like it just it's it, it's like a fun a really fun reading experience that I think like both of you have nailed <laughs> oh my gosh that's that is the highest highest compliment it really 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 is mm -hmm. it's just it's a safe it's a sacred thing you know and so the ability to create something and enjoying this this world this living breathing discipline it's it's truly a, something i treasure and i cherish and i take it very seriously and you know i think it's the rebecca solnit quote of you know book is a heart that can only beat in the chest of another is really something that i feel passionately like i felt like when i was reading sharp objects or um gone girl you know, you feel like almost even you're inventing it as you read it or you're so I, I want to be able to give that too. It's just something that I feel as a reader. So it's I'm so glad and very grateful that you feel that way. Great. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. And I'm really hoping that you would consider coming back for the second volume in this series, because I just I really can't wait to see where things go. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks to all the listeners and readers of the public library system. I, I really just enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you. Okay, listeners, you can pick up Scorched Grace as of the time that you hear this episode. And I 
highly, highly recommend you do. It's just one of my favorite reads of the year so far, even though the year's young. I think it's okay to say that now. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, please pick up Scorched Grace, and it is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode. Thank you.